Welcome to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. I'm your host, Tim Reed. And once again, I'm so excited to be here today. Welcome to the Firetime Podcast. Well, as we round out this section of our season where we are talking to peak performers, I wanted this last conversation to be with Grant Falco. And we joke about it in this conversation. If you've listened to this podcast for any amount of time or paid attention to anything that I do, you know that Grant is a part of just about all of it. And I met Grant, I mean, probably five years ago now. And our relationship has been one that's really special to me. He's become one of my best friends in the world and somebody that I just deeply admire. And in, in this conversation, I wanted to back up from all of the, the frameworks that we talk about and the processes to really dive into him as a person. And I think that this conversation is incredibly raw and very vulnerable. And and there's been some things that Grant's been going through over the last few months that have played into that. And there's there's just a lot of things that I, I think are eye-opening when you listen to this. And when I think about Grant as truly someone that's an, a peak performer, I mean, when you see his business, if you ever visit Falco's, I mean, it is incredibly impressive. What their business is doing in a small market like Spokane is, it's truly incredible. All of that being said, you know, Grant is the fuel for that. And it's not that other people aren't able to do incredible things, but, you know, there's something about the way that Grant has approached this business. There's something about the way that he's had a, just a tenacity and a thoroughness with it that has built a, I guess, a framework to allow people to succeed inside of it and allow people to take it and run further than he ever could by himself. And I wanted to just have a conversation about about him, and I think that there's a lot of genuineness and authenticity in this. So I definitely have some thoughts on the back end, but for now, I'll step out of the way so that you can hear this conversation with my friend, Grant Falco. Joining me from Spokane, Washington, is the co-founder of the Firetime Network, the Firetime Magazine, and pretty much anything else I do. He is also the co-owner of Falco's in Spokane. I'm here today with Grant Falco. Grant, how you doing, man? Tim, I am doing awesome. Thank you so much for having me back. I always, I love, I love being back here, and it's been a while. It has been a while, and I was actually trying to count how many episodes you've been on for the podcast, and I, I don't know. Um, it's probably almost as many as me, but not quite. <laughs> I would say it's, it's, it's maybe 10 ish. You know, we did a lot in the last stint with all the different steps of, uh, yeah. the execution process and stuff and maybe four or five before that. But I truly, I, tr- I truly found myself thinking, man, I used to really struggle and not necessarily love or enjoy these podcasts. They, I, my nerves got the best of me and I really found myself getting excited to do this again, Tim. I think you've, I think you've almost officially converted me over. Yeah. Oh, I I'd say so. I mean, I, I feel like when, when we go do speaking events now, I, I, I can kind of sense your energy. And I, I feel like we, we talk about this. It's kind of my job to be the front man of the band sometimes, but, but once you step up for a guitar solo, it's my job to step back and, and, and let you riff. And, and uh, it's like my job to pump the crowd up so you can, you can come out and do that. And I, I feel like when you get rolling, it's like, watch out. There is no stopping your energy and your passion. And it, it literally like, I, I get so pumped when I see it happen. And, and a lot of the time I get self-conscious thinking like this guy is way smarter than me. And uh, it's, yeah, it's cool to see. It, it just comes down to overthinking or not thinking at all. When I'm, when I'm struggling, when I'm not doing the best, I'm just overthinking half the time, almost all the time. And when you get on a roll, you just let it go. And with certain things, yeah. you know, you can do that with that you're knowledgeable on that you're passionate about. And every once in a while it happens. You know, we've talked about that actually with, with you being a soccer player and me being like a basketball player and a musician is 
when the lights go on and you can slip into that yeah. zone where oh, yeah. you're operating off of oh, instinct yeah. and you're trusting your practice and you're trusting the work that you've it, done, yep. that is, that's an amazing spot. Yep. No. Versus, versus when you think about yeah. it. The most carefree, uh, the, the most carefree I was in my life was when I was maybe 17 or 18, 19, 20. And, uh, when I go back to playing soccer and I think about those years, those seasons, I wasn't thinking at all. And they were some of my best. And I know that sounds silly, but like, I remember being out there as a senior in high school, scoring 31 goals and never thinking about anything, just going out there and playing soccer. And I remember getting later in life in college, my junior and senior year, I started thinking too much when I was out there. And, and if I'm honest with myself, my performance just wasn't there. So truly you got to find that groove. Mm. And I think it comes down to hours and hours and hours of doing something that you care about, you know, is it 10,000 hours yeah. and you create a habit or, or something yeah. for life? Well, I think that to, to master, to master. To master something. Yeah. And I feel like that's it. Once you've gotten to that master level, it's just second nature. You don't even have to think to do it. Yeah, that's really good. You know, this interview, it, I, I want this to be a lot different than the conversations that we've had. So I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of direct this really more inwardly for you. You know, we, we've talked a lot about process and, and you're someone that has just been meticulous in, in what you've done. But I, I want to just zoom in on, on, on you, the person. And, and to, to set this up, you know, this season, we're talking to people in different stages of their career. And, and at this midpoint of the season, we're talking to people who are peak performers and I, I define peak performer as someone running at full stride. Doesn't mean it's perfect. Doesn't mean it couldn't be better. There's not problems. But, but they have found some things that work, and they are running at, at a full pace, right? The stride has been fully opened up. And, and I think that, I mean, there's no question that that's what you're doing. And I, I'd like to hear, like, do you feel like, like you're running at, at full stride <laughs> with, with Falcos right now? You know, um, I think it's hard. I think it's, it's, it's hard when you're in it and I'm still in it. I'm in it every day, five days a week, as much as I can be, because I care about my team. I care about our success. So, you know, in all honesty, it's, it's hard to feel like I'm running at full sprint smoothly. What I will say, Tim, is I feel like I am running at full sprint and just getting hit maybe struggling to get back up, but then running at full sprint again, then getting hit, kind of getting back up yep. and then running at full sprint again. And a lot of things we'll talk about a lot today and you didn't give me any opportunity to prepare, but you know, one of the, things, no. <laughs> one of the things that I want to talk about that I'll just take this opportunity is, is mentality. Like, yeah, we're running fast, but it takes the mentality when you get knocked down, running as hard as we are, it's a lot, it's a lot harder fall. And it takes a lot to get back up and going and, and having a mentality of knowing what's right and pushing through until you get there is absolutely the reason I feel like I'm in the position or we are as, as Falcos where we're at today. So when did that mentality really set in for you? Obviously you've been driven. I mean, I, I assume you got good grades in high school. You went to college, you, you played collegiate soccer, you were drafted by the Portland Timbers. So, so obviously you've had a, a mindset and a mentality that's driven, but like, when did that really set in and, and, and click into place with Falcos where like, it wasn't just, it wasn't just you all of a sudden it was like the momentum started to catch up with your mentality. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I mean, the mentality itself has been built in. Um, I'm stubborn. I want to win. I want to be the best at what I do. And, and sometimes, you know, it, that even gets the best of me, but the mentality has always been built in. Now, when did I realize that that mentality in my work life, when, when did that come about? I would say after a few steps in business. So like when I first came into the business, I mean, ultimately I'm just trying to not be the owner, the quintessential owner's kid, right? Like I'm just trying to show everybody that that's not who I am and that I'm going to be different. And, 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 and how you do that, like the first step is just understanding that things are what they look like, not what they are. 
And I feel like I understood that from a very early age. And I think after I got through that and started to make my way and gain respect with people, I would say that until I was named general manager, it was really difficult because you can't be in a a position of, let's say, estimator, like the position I was, and, and no one else know that you're running the business, but yet be running the business. Everybody has to know that you're running the business. And truly, my mentality for me was independent. Anything I did within this business, I did with my mentality, but it never spread through the business until my dad said, you're general manager. And I quickly realized that I didn't know what I was doing, but I did know that there's resources out there to tell me how I needed to do it. And I knew that I had the mentality to get it done. The biggest obstacle at that point was breeding that mentality. And, and, you know, an example would be when we started building our business back up, We started to look at installation days and you've heard me talk about this. We do not miss an installation day. We do not miss it. It's a mentality and it's non-negotiable. Now, do we miss them every once in a while? Of course we do. Everybody does. But that mentality has been what has built and and grew our revenue, you know, 20% without adding any crews, just having a built-in mentality of this is right. We don't go away from here. It actually what it does is creates other things that help you in business. So if you have a mentality of we never miss an install, you start setting it up to where you always have the right amount of inventory. You always have the right tools. You know what jobs are out there that are complete so that you can pull them forward. Having that mentality breeds success, truthfully. Yeah, I I agree. And I think that it's so hard for business owners to get that mentality to spread. I think that many business owners are driven. Many business owners are stubborn and many business owners, they want to win, but often that turns into berating and steamrolling the people around them. How have you navigated that? God, it's hard. It's like you, so, and I guess I, let me ask you this: I, I've never, I, I've never seen this. Like, do you ever just like lose it with your team members? Um, you know, lose it differently than you would expect. So, my grandfather, or maybe even my dad, when they would lose it, they would get mad at someone. They would maybe yell at someone, and it was because they didn't have enough time to solve that problem right then and there. So they just used emotion to get the point across. And I would say I've understood from really early on that that doesn't get you anything. It just all becomes about the emotion. So what I would say is that I lose it in that I care so much and I put so much into it that I lose it in the fact that I I kind of feel out of control. I kind of lose my sense of direction. And all of a sudden, I'm questioning a bunch of things that I that I don't normally question. And I I am actually currently in that situation right now with the development of my new construction construction business. So I I feel like I don't lose it in like where I yell and scream and berate anybody, but I do lose it and do kind of break down every once in a while because I'm looking across at these people where I've put as much effort into the department as I can. And so have they. And it's still not working. It's still not Mm -hmm. working. Now, is it not working at all? No, but you have expectations and it needs to work to those expectations. And it's not. And and truly in this scenario, as I'm talking about it, I think about Seth Godin and the dip, because that's what I've been talking to my team about. Because, you know, when it comes to a mentality and it comes to like trying to get other people to buy into that mentality, It's about sticking it out and saying things like, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Even when you're questioning it yourself, it's going to happen. And I can't tell you how many times in my career, in the 10 years of being a GM, that I know meetings are correct. So I'm going to stick it out, even though it's not working correctly. I know the systems and process of how we do things are the right thing, but man, it's tough to get there. And new construction, it's a new part of our business. It's something that we're still building the road on. I know we'll get there, but man, sometimes looking across the table and not having the answers, you fall apart. And I would say, that's how I lose it today. And just not knowing what the next step is. Generally, I have so much anxiety and I tend to be a worrier that I will 
stay up all night and figure it out by the next day, or at least try to. But no, I, I, I think that losing it is something you have to be very careful. You know, um, when you read books about leadership, it's, it's about controlling your emotion. And for my family, that's a tough, that's a tough nut to crack. I mean, controlling our emotions, being an Italian uh, family is, is a little bit difficult, but it's something that I honestly have tried, I have focused on since the very, very day I was GM, because I knew that in order for me to get buy-in from people, I needed to make sure to keep them as partners and berating them, yelling that yeah. scream because that's what's easiest for you is never the option. You talked about the dip. And for me, that concept has been, man, it's been really, really, uh, just a guiding force for me over the last five years or so of my life. And and for any of you that haven't read it, pick up the dip by Seth Godin. It's a short book. It's maybe 80, 90 pages or so. You'll go through it real quick. But the example is that basically anything worth doing has a dip to it where you will start out. It will not work. There will be resistance. There will be opposition and it will be tempting to quit. But the book basically talks about if you are in a dip then you need to push through the dip to get to the other side because that's where the payoff is. And there are some situations where you're not in a dip, you're in a cul-de-sac where no matter how hard you push, you will only spin in circles. You will never get out of it. So you need to realize, am I in a cul-de-sac or am I in a dip? If I'm in a dip, I will push through. And I think I think the example he uses in the book is like, you know, when when you get accepted into medical school, your family has a party for you and everyone's so happy. But when you're seven years in, right, and everyone, like, no one cares anymore that you're in medical school, and you're on your third all-nighter of the week, and you're trying to figure out how to study for this, plus, you know, do your rotations the next day, that's the dip. And, and his analogy is, quit before the dip, or quit after the dip, but do not quit in the dip, or it's a waste of everybody's time. You can quit afterwards and say, hey, I went through this experience, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad I went through it, but I don't need it. So I'm going to choose something else. That's fine. Or quit beforehand, but don't quit in the dip. So that, that's the concept. And for me, man, that's helped me take, you know, some, some pretty big punches in the face over the last, you know, five years or so. And honestly, to create buy-in, to get people to buy into what you think is right, the, the right way to run your business, you have to go through the dip. You have to. Like, there's no way to get to that other side without going through some type of dip. And like an example is when we started implementing weekly meetings, weekly team meetings, I mean, Tim, I, I came unprepared. I felt for multiple weeks in a row that maybe I wasn't doing it the right way. Maybe we were going too long because everybody says, keep it to a structured time. Maybe I didn't have the right agenda, but sticking through it, making sure that we continue to do it and getting out of the dip is the reason you can't ask any of my employees to not have a meeting anymore. Why? Because they, it's so stinking important to how we run our business, but we never would have got there if we would have not pushed through the dip. And that's where the mentality comes from, is not falling back and doing what's easiest. Yeah. Like what we see all the time, Tim, is people doing what's easiest for them. And they'll look at us and say, no, that customer needs help on the showroom. That customer needs help on your... Yeah, right. That customer can wait an extra five minutes for the next best salesperson because you need to create a structure or framework for that sales staff so that they're done. They do it right every single time. And that's what happens. We default to what's easiest because we can't push through what is right and ends up being what is really difficult. Yeah. You know, it's it's, it's just so funny. Like, it, I think it's easy in the dip to question things because in the dip, often you're alone or close to it. And there may not be other people that are going through it in quite the same way. So, so it's easy to question, but yeah, if you, if you, if you look at it and you realize like, no, this is, this is a dip, you know, it's not a cul-de-sac, it's a dip. You got to keep pushing. And if there was no dip, it wouldn't be worth anything. Like there's no, there's, there's no reward for watching Netflix at night. There's no dip to watching Netflix. You, you sit down, you pop a bag of chips and open a beer and you flip on the TV. Congratulations. Yeah, like there's no reward, but there, there, yeah, there is a reward for running a good business or having a good marriage or being a good friend because all of those things have a dip to them, making them scarce and, and valuable. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't agree more. And like for anybody listening, you, you want to know how you're, you know, when you're in a dip, it's like when you ask yourself, should I give up? 
Like yeah. you ask yourself, how do I get out of this? Is this the right direction? Is this, I mean, when you start asking yourself all these things, like you are literally at the end of your dip and you just have to push through a little bit longer and prosperity will be on the other side. Okay. So how do you know when it's a dip versus a cul-de-sac? Cause a cul-de-sac, you, you got, you pull that ripcord, you get out. There's no, there's no upside so, to it. So I think for, for, for us, like, I don't, I can't speak for everybody, but like it comes down to communication with your team and them still believing it's right. So like with new construction, uh, we run new construction separate differently than we run retail. I have, I have major beliefs in that retail is done a certain way. And new construction is a totally different clientele. It's a, it's a moving target. You have multiple people you're communicating with and they're complicated. And there's a wide variety from $100,000 fireplaces to $1,000 electric fireplace. And so I believe with new construction, there has to be expectations set out for you and your company and your division, but also for the builders and partners that you work with. And for, for us, like setting out and doing this we set out and did it by saying, what are the problems we're encountering and what are the solutions? And the five stages of new construction are simply that, the solutions to all the problems that we have. So now it's gotten really t- tough because we're literally building the department as we're trying to operate you know, a, a two or $3 million new construction yeah. division. Not easy at all and totally wearing my guys out. But just three weeks ago, We sat in a meeting and we said, okay, you guys, this has been rough. Things have plateaued. We aren't doing, we aren't promising and getting the the results that we want on every single job. There's a lot of things that we're working on that are taken away from us getting every single job correct. Do we still think it's worth it? Is where we're going right? And everybody in the room knows it's right. You know, it's right. But if there's people that disagree, you have to have that conversation and you have to really have buy-in from the entire team or you can't move forward. And that's what I I feel like if you don't have buy-in, if you've gotten to that point and they don't think it's going to solve the problems or your team doesn't believe this is the solution anymore, for me, I feel like that's my time when I got to either change direction or or figure a new process out, new project out for them. Hmm. I want to ask you this. You've had a lot of success with Falcos. And I think that, I mean, I don't think like, I know people, people look at you as like a superhuman, you know, you're, you're running an amazing business. Plus, I mean, dude, you moonlight doing all this like firetime network stuff. You kid, you coach your kids, soccer teams. Like you, you have your hands in a lot of different things and, and you do a lot of things with, with excellence. I want to know when it comes to your business, and you're running into these obstacles you've never faced before. What would what percentage would you say of your problem solving is based on your intuition versus based on formal learning or training that you've had to help you be able to say, oh, this is what I read about in this book. This is the situation. What's the percentage that that happens versus you make the decision on your intuition? Well, for me, so, so Tim, you and I are different and, and, and we're, we're similar in a lot of ways and that's, what's connected us, but we are, we are definitely different. My, my memory retention is not like yours. I mean, nowhere near yours and probably (laughs) average at best. And so for me, it's all intuition for me. Truthfully, I can read a book, not remember. You can't ask me anything out of the book, but I lived that book. I mean, 4DX, you could ask me what the four disciplines of execution are right now. And I couldn't name all of them, but that book changed my life. And everything that I do is actually from that book. Now I've read the book probably 10 times now, so it's built in, but for me, it's intuition, but intuition is for me, I, I feel like, you know, as I'm saying that it discredits what I do here because like what I do, I feel is special. Now intuition comes from having a mentality that you just don't go with the flow. I question everything. I question everything. I need to know exactly what you're telling me. I need to understand it. And I don't think everybody does that. So because you made a reference to, you probably got good grades in high school. And, and to be honest, Tim, 
I got okay grades. I could have gotten better grades. But I, I, guarantee, I guarantee they were better than mine. Well, <laughs> maybe, I guarantee it. But like, it, it was, it, it, you know, school, I just didn't care about. I just didn't care. Like, it didn't, it wasn't important to me. Whether that was because we had the business here, or I was just a lazy kid. I just didn't care. I feel like intuition, Tim, is it, like, you, you get lucky, you guess. But intuition to me is trying to figure out what is right. And like, what I do well is, and we've talked about this, is I have intuition on what's right or wrong, but more importantly, what's important and not. And, and I feel like that's come with asking questions, never just saying I understand something, actually understanding it. I can sit in a service meeting and I don't know anything about service, but I have to understand what they're talking about. And I'll ask enough questions to where we all understand it. And all of a sudden we're figuring out the problem. And so I believe that you have to be, you have to know where your limited knowledge is. You have to invest into learning and then you have to trust your gut because sometimes we don't have time to make all the decisions. But what I will say is when you are putting out fires or solving problems, which eventually that's what you're doing as a general manager is putting out a lot of fires. I feel like if your intuition comes from the right resources, for me, I have invested in a ton of audiobooks to learn how to run my business because honestly, when I stepped into this, I had no idea. That intuition from the right resources, knowing that these things are right, even though they're foreign to me, has allowed me to make the right decisions. But the biggest thing for me is that I don't look to solve that problem. Like, Tim, you know this. I look to solve that problem and figure out how to prevent that problem moving forward. And that, that is more than intuition when it comes down to it. But the, yeah. the gut call is to question it. And that's where intuition comes in big time. You know, it's funny. And, and I don't know if I come across this way or not, uh, but I, I am a major, major gut thinker. Like I, I really make decisions off of, off of gut and some people are the opposite where they have like analysis paralysis and, and that's not me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think though, I think that that's really important. Like there's, there's actually a lot of scientific data and, and, and research about gut decisions and, and gut decisions, especially the older you get actually become more and more accurate because it's like the communal totally. iceberg of everything in your subconscious, just simply giving you that signal. Yes, no, yes, exactly. no. And it doesn't mean it, it doesn't mean it's always right, but but there are many times where it is it is very wise to trust your gut. But I think what you said about 4DX is really true that as we as we read things and as we like, you know, it, it, even as like as as I listen to you talk about frameworks for your business and, and different things, all of that is forming the iceberg of my gut. Where in the moment I may not be able to look at something and think, boy, did Jim Collins write about this in good to great? I probably am not going to be able to look at it and say, oh, he did. Okay, so this is the situation. I'm going to make this decision based on that data that I have. Rather, it's going to be because I've been a student of the game for the last, whatever, five, ten years, my gut is processing things at a level that my mind is actually not able to keep up with, and it's telling me this this is what I should do. Yeah. I mean, and and as you're saying that, I'm thinking – I've had to look at my team and say, okay, I can't explain this. You just have to trust me. You have to believe that this is the right direction. Give another month and we will get there. But the difference between you and I is you can explain things where sometimes like I'm going off so much intuition. I just know this is right. Like I'll give you an example. So we created a new construction department, you know, three and a half, four years ago. We always used to run them together, retail, new construction, and we decided to separate it out and kind of learn that and understand that. Well, we've tried to go digital. We've tried to go like, okay, we're starting a department. It's a microcosm of Falcos, but with different processes. And so since it's out in the field, since, you know, the trucks are running and this outside sales rep and project manager, we tried to go digital. But what I found out is that the turn-in is absolutely being missed. Like the turn-in, okay? So you've done a print bid, you've done a scope of work, you've done a workup, and you've proposed it. You turn it in. Then if anything changes, you turn it in again and update it. And then if anything changes again, you turn it in again. 
And what I'll say is like, I'm looking at my team right now saying, yes, we're going backwards. I'm asking you to turn in a packet with a top sheet that makes sure everything's complete. Why? Because there's no turn in on the digital side. We don't have a timestamp saying everything was done. Everything's right. And now we can go on to the next step. Therefore, since we don't have that, everything's not done. Everything's not right. And we continue to have problems. So I'm asking my team who does not want to do turn-ins. I literally just cleared out two five-drawer systems and everything's getting paperwork. Because if we can't get the turn on right digitally, we're going to do it physically where it's right in front of our face. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Well, I hope you're enjoying my conversation with Grant Falco. If you have been listening to this episode or even this season and thinking, man, I so relate to what these guests are talking about, but I have some questions about what to do. Well, the last episode of this season is going to be a Q&A episode where I am bringing in my friend and mentor, Tim Rethlake, to help me answer questions. And this is really special because Tim is retiring. And if you want one last chance to jump in and hear from him and have questions answered about you, your career, and your business, you have to send them in. My email address is very simple. You can send those questions to Tim at itsfiretime.com. That's Tim at itsfiretime.com. And we will be answering those questions in the final episode. So there's no excuse. Now is the time before the legendary TR retires. Send those questions in. We'll answer them in the final episode this season. I think that gut is something that we need to have healthy guardrails on, right? It's like we, we can't just we, we can't just blindly trust our gut. And I guess I'm wondering for you, like you have to be honest with your gut, Tim. Like, so like when we come when it comes down to it, your gut sometimes is used as an excuse yep. to do what's easier. Yep. That's it. And like your gut, you have to trust your gut. And there's sometimes when you choose to do what's easiest and you say, that's a gut decision. I just need to take a break. I feel like the biggest problem in, in all small business, probably in all business is doing what's right is really hard. There is people that deal with fire after fire after fire. And if they just set aside three weeks and only work on their expectation of process for that three weeks, all of a sudden those fires will disappear. Yes. They know it's right. Every single person listening knows that meeting on a weekly basis is right, but we don't do it. Why? Because of all these little fires in our way. We know it's right. Our gut tells us what's right, but sometimes we take the scapegoat and call it our gut and do what's easy. Yeah. And, and I, I really... I, I, I want to push this that that we we can't blindly trust it. So we have to have guardrails and frameworks, right? To me, that's where frameworks are so helpful because a framework keeps me on the road and then I can trust my gut for the quick turn decisions. What are what are some of the guardrails that you've put in place? Like whether it's in your life or your business, like that that allow you to make a gut decision and know it's not going to run you completely off the rails. Man, I don't think I have any. Really? Yeah. I mean, honestly, Tim, um, you know, that's a, that's a question that I, I can't find an answer for. And, and like, it's not quickly coming to me. I'm a processor. But when I think of like guardrails, like what have I done to protect myself? You know, I'm just doing the best I can and I'm trying to be as constructive and realistic with what I'm capable of and what my team's capable of. And honestly, like there's some days where I have to make 10 decisions and I have to have faith that even if those are the wrong decisions, I'm I've set up a system that's going to learn from it and I'm going to do better the next time. And I, I would say that honestly, unless you can point out guardrails that I'm not thinking about, I don't think I have any self-imposed guardrails. And it's because situationally, I feel like it's right to do it, or I have to make a decision that says I don't have time to do it and I'm going to have to table it. But, but honestly, like 
I don't know of any guardrails. Okay. Can I, uh, can I play the grant focus psychologist here? Please do. Okay. I think you do. And I think they are, they are so set in place that you almost take them for granted. It's like fish swimming in the water, right? You know, like the joke about, right. about I like where you're going. Like the, the, yeah, there's the joke about the fish in the water and the fish are like, wait, what's water? Cause they're swimming it. <laughs> but here's the, okay, here's an example though. Here's one of the guardrails. You, you don't sell on the showroom floor unless it's like an absolute emergency. Like literally everyone's sick. Every, like, but you don't like, you don't, you don't sell on the showroom floor. When no. you don't, you don't run parts out to a job. No, you, you have a weekly service meeting. You have, yep. you have a, you have a service coordinator that handles the service coordinating. You never jump in and handle the service coordinating because you can do it better. So like, no, nope. I think that the, I think there's some guardrails in there that, well, okay. So I, I know what I, I, I understand what you're saying now a little bit. I, I think that for me, like guardrails are something that I have put up to make sure that I don't make any foolish decisions. And I, I don't know how intentional I've been for that. But when, when you say it like that, yeah, like half the things I've done, half the framework I've created is to hold me accountable. Yes. It's to keep me on track. Like, did I want to have weekly meetings every morning at eight? Because I had to lead every weekly meeting to start. I had to create an agenda. I had to, you know, make sure meeting minutes were done. Like I had to do this stuff I had never done before. And did I want to? No. But you're right in that I was putting up guardrails because I know yeah. if I don't have that, like, like, think about this. I have 40 employees and, uh, you know, a, a healthy retail business. How do I do- divide up my time to be fair to everybody? And when you're emotionally in the whirlwind, you never know and calculate or document that time. You go and gravitate to what's easiest, what you like doing best, like all these things. And everybody, if you're a salesperson, you grew up selling, you're going to spend more time on the sales floor and you're going to neglect installation service. And if you grew up on the installation, you're going to do installation service uh, or installation, maybe some service and neglect the salespeople on the showroom floor. For me, I know I needed to be there for everybody. And so, yeah, I put up guardrails by holding myself accountable, running weekly meetings that I knew I eventually could hand off because I nominated leaders and then I could run it without actually running it. So yeah, I think there's actually, now that you say that, a number of things I've done to hold myself accountable, keep myself in check on the decisions I'm making. Yeah, I, I'd say so. And I, I just think it it becomes so intuitive because this is the word of encouragement, I think. Like once you start to put these frameworks and guardrails in place for your business, whether that's organizing your business on the eight departments or setting up sales goals or a sales process, when you start to do that, you got to give it time, but eventually you start to build some really deep grooves. And I think you just kind of forget that like that's a guardrail, you know? That that actually that actually was that was intentional. Yeah. No, I love it. You know, it's funny for me, you you talk about how this is to hold yourself accountable. This happened to me just the other day with, with Wi-Fi. We were, we were talking about our process of how we upload manufacturers into our system. And we realized there's a specific way it needs to happen in order to not affect other things within the programming in the wrong way. But that requires like three extra steps that nine times out of 10 are redundancies, but you still need to check them for that one time out of 10, it could affect something. And I was talking with our team about it. And I I said, in the past, I've actually done the, the upload. There's a lot of precision with it. And I, I looked at that extra few steps that had to be done. And I told the team, "I, I can't do this. We have to fire me from this job because I know I will not do it. I know that because there's a quicker way to do it, I will skip it because it will work 90% of the time and I will cause catastrophic damage to it. So we literally just said, we are documenting the system and Tim will never do it again. And and it's getting passed off to someone else that when they're trained, this is the only way to do it. And for me, it's like, that's the guardrail. Cause like, I cannot be trusted in that situation to do it. So I have to pass it. I, that's where we are very, we are similar. Like I, I have a hard time in the monotony of accountability. Like I can set up a system, track a system and hold it accountable by seeing reports and that kind of stuff. But man, if you're going to ask me to do those things, sometimes I really struggle. And that's where you put up guardrails to help yourself. Yeah. I, uh, I think, um, you know, when I, when I talk about like, you know, 
what's right. I really want to just like talk slow and say it again, because I am not like you, you made a comment of like, I can't remember what the comment was, but like, I'm doing a million things. Like, I don't feel like that. And it's, it's not because I'm not doing a million things. It's because there's been things that have been set up because I've done the hard things. I think it really comes down to the people listening to this who are wanting to get better, asking themselves every day, am I doing what's right for my business? Am I doing what's right for my business? Because I have a feeling a lot of us, if we're going to be honest with ourselves, are doing what's right for us or what's easiest for us or most fun for us. Not all the time, but 30% of the time. And that 30% of time can be the difference. I really truly feel like, Tim, built down in me is an understanding of what's right and wrong and not willing to compromise and do what's wrong for faster, better, funner, more fun, whatever. I really think that we know what's right. And if we, if we even don't have the resources, but we don't do what's right a lot of times because it's so hard. And I hope that I really think as I say that, Tim, it might not resonate with everybody, but it's going to resonate with a lot of people that truly are struggling. And I, I promise you, like if there's five fires, let those fires go. Like, yes, that might be a customer ripping your head off. That may be a customer leaving you a bad review. There's got to be a time in your leadership journey where you say enough is enough. And this is how I'm going to operate my business. And all of a sudden, six months later, seven months later, doing what's right pays off. And if you want buy-in from your team, show them, show them, get them to that point. They will buy in as soon as you show and, and, and get through this. They'll see and be on your side. They'll be total buy-in at that point. I, I felt like I needed to say that because, Tim, I feel like I talk to a lot of people that tell me they do what's right, walk out, out the door to their business and continue to do what's easiest. Yeah. And I'm sorry. I've seen it over and over and over again. And those people are smarter than I am. Yeah, I agree. It doesn't matter how smart you are. And, and going back to what you said too about there's many people that want it fast. I, for me, I am, I am just becoming less and less impressed by seeing companies with fast growth. I'm just less and less impressed by it. Doesn't mean it's bad. Like if you've got it, oh. you know, great. But, Dude, I question, I, I question it. I question it every time. And maybe it's, maybe it's me thinking there's no way someone can do that and maybe being a little bit jealous. But honestly, once you get behind that curtain, you see what's going on. That, that's some craziness back back behind there most of the time. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, one thing I wanted to ask you. Yeah, I, I feel like this conversation has been really raw, and and I think that I think that this is awesome. I, I kind of want to know if you could boil down the success that Falco's has had. This is not you. The success that Falco's has had. If you could boil it down to one thing, like one concept, one sentence, what would you say, like, what would you say has been the key to that success? I think that Falco's has been successful for, well, we're a fourth generation family-owned business and we're still around. I mean, I think that speaks volumes. What I will say is that when I took over this business, I think this small business was probably more established than 90% of the hearth small businesses that were taken over. And when I think about like what I took over and what was done relatively well and, and what we do amazingly well now is we have a, like a, a cadence of accountability. Truthfully, like once you start to understand that your employees want to be held accountable. They want to win at work or they want to know what they didn't do well so they can learn from it and get better. I will say we've doubled down in the last 10 years on that, like never before. But Tim, what I'm blown away by is the foundation that my parents and the Spurbecks who have been here for 25 and 40 years, they've done it for a number of years without me. Now the world's changed, the business has grown and we've had to do things differently, but that didn't make it wrong. There was still accountability to the customer, to the employees, to what we say we're going to do. Like 
Falcos has never been a company that's going to take a shortcut. Falcos has never had the mentality. When we had a nursery, we, my grandpa and grand and, and dad, when we had the nursery before the, the fireplace shop used to go down uh, and, and pick up all the shrubs and bring them back, water them every day, nurture them. And then we had to hand carry every shrub out to the customer's car and put it in there. There was a, an accountability to us here on serving the customer. And I feel like for me, I don't know if I could grow this business anymore without some type of accountability on my part, my team's part, my business's part, and to the customer. That's the best way I can answer that, Tim. Yeah, that's excellent. So it's a cadence and accountability is the foundation that was laid. And that's, that's the hard work, not the and, fast and yeah, work. That's exactly right. Doing what you say when you say you're going to do it. Like it seems simple, but it's not. And you have to hold yourself accountable. Like if I'm being honest, we've taken steps back from that. And when I took over uh, estimates 15 years ago, 17 years ago, were we accountable to the estimates? Were we accountable to the customer? Were we accountable to getting it right? No, we, we got away from it a little bit, but coming in, recognizing that and setting up a, a, a system of accountability was what we needed to take the next step. And I'll, I'll say like, it's, it's easy to say, but it's, it's extremely hard to do. And for me, it really came down to what do you expect from your employees? And, and Tim, we've talked about this a lot. You can't have a cadence of accountability if you don't know what you expect, because if you don't know what you expect from your employees, they don't know how to achieve your expectation. So understanding what you expect, laying out a framework that holds people accountable is absolutely necessary for any successful business. But taking it a little bit further and what we've done in the last 10 years is we really think that employees are either performing or investing and, and figuring out how to hold performance accountable and also investment into the position accountable, I think is, is been a huge, huge anchor for us in the last 10 years. Yeah, that's great. I feel like a lot of what you've done, and, and this has been true for our journey together. I, I would say this is actually maybe single-handedly the thing that's defined our journey together has been starting before you see the end. And outside of what, what we've done together with, you know, the, the magazine and stuff like that, just, just in, in your own life, in your own business, why is it so important to start before you see the end? You just have no idea. You just have no idea. Like, uh, I need to think of a good example, which hopefully will come to me, but I can't tell you how often you start down a path where you know, it's right. You know, that uh, what you're working on is going to get you somewhere, you get it done, but then you're at a place where you can add to it and make it better because you started it. You would have never got to that point if you wouldn't have started it. And I, I cannot think of any examples right now, but I, 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 we, we talk about this and I think you, you, you mentioned a book of, you just got to ship it. You just got to ship it because you'll constantly be working on it and making it better as you go through it. Now, the hard part with that is not all businesses can do that. Not all businesses can start without it being complete. Why? Like, why is that? It's because they have no system of accountability. They have no weekly meetings. They have no, no system that holds that accountable and makes that better. So what people do is they feel like they have to figure it all out at once and they don't start it because it's going to be nitpicked to death and no one has time to continue to work on it. You can ship on stuff and you can start a project without knowing where it's going to end when you are consistently meeting and being accountable to it. And I feel like that's the missing link. Why people feel like they have to figure everything out right away is because they know they're just going to get lost in the whirlwind. That thing's going to go out if they don't have everything figured out and be gone. And even if they do have everything figured out, Tim, if they're not holding accountable, it's just the choice of the employees on whether they want to do it or not. Yeah. And that's just, that's just not okay. That's really good. Okay. Final question, Grant. I've been asking guests this, this season, Uh oh. finish this sentence for me. You ready? Sales is a game of. Okay. The first thing I, I wanted to say was chess. And the reason, I don't know the exact reason, that was my gut, 
But the reason I believe I wanted to say chess was simply because you have to be strategic. You have to be intentional. You have to have a plan in order to be successful. And if you go into chess blind without being intentional, without a plan, without, you know, anything, you're not going to be successful. Yeah, man, that, that's seriously awesome. I, I, I love playing chess and I think that you're right. There's a setup, there's decisive moves in chess. Every move needs to take you closer to winning the game, every move. Yeah. And if you make yep. moves just to make moves, then the game, the game does not work. You get, you get crushed. And the, the best chess players are making a move now to set up a move 10 moves from now. Yeah. And I feel like that's business. Yeah. We are doing things now. I took on Duckless four years ago, not for this last four years, but for the next four years. Yeah. And yeah, it's been tough and we've had a lot of learning experiences and it's at times we've questioned it, but it's the right decision because of what's coming down the road. I just want to say to like the people that are, are going through this, like, I know that sometimes when, when people look at us, Tim, they only see what we show them. Dude, this is hard. Like I've struggled. Like I have uh, the last three or four months have had some of the hardest times in my life, but like you're not alone. Yeah. You're not an imposter. You are doing an amazing job. And if you start meetings tomorrow, and you were fumbling through it, you do the next one. And then you do the next one because you have the mentality to be successful. You're not alone. We are all in this together and you're not always going to be perfect at your job. So stick with it, get through the dip and choose to do what's right. I love it, dude. All right. So good, man. That's it. Thanks for being here, Grant. This is an awesome conversation. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Tim. I had a lot of fun, dude. Appreciate it. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation with Grant. I got a ton of value out of it. And just for me, you know, even being in the moment while we were recording, man, I felt like there was so much vulnerability there. And my hope as, as we round out this part of the season talking about peak performers, I, I just want you to hear the humility and, 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 and truly like the weakness and the vulnerability that Grant is speaking with. I mean, uh, gosh, I mean... We, we we talked about it a little bit in the in the conversation, but to kind of expand on that, you know, the the older that I get, and I know I'm not as old as some, but but the older that I get, the less impressed I am with fast growth and with flashiness and with bravado. I I'm just less and less impressed by that, and I'm more impressed by vulnerability and by self awareness. I, I I think that that's truly where power is, right? You know, the book of Philippians talks about how when we are weak, then we are strong and that God's power itself is made complete in weakness. And, you know, I, I think that being in touch with our vulnerability and our weakness is truly the ultimate strength. You know, as, as, we, as we talked, the, the concept of the dip really came out. And, and going into this conversation, I had nothing prepared. Grant had no preparation. I just wanted to really fly off the cuff. And, and, and I, I think that the dip is really important to talk about. You know, if you haven't picked up that book, it, it's absolutely worth doing. But essentially, like we talked about, anything worth doing has a dip to it. And if it doesn't have a dip, you should probably ask yourself, does this actually mean anything? So with what you're going through right now, I would imagine that many of you are in a dip and, and it doesn't mean that you're not achieving in other areas, but if you are going through a new initiative, maybe you're a new business owner, maybe you're an established business owner, but there's a new venture of your business. Like Grant's talking about going through the new construction dip. You know, maybe you're trying to raise up leaders in your company, but you're going through the dip and they are not performing the way that you want them to. They're not doing it the way that you did. Well, you got to ask yourself, is this a dip or is this a cul-de-sac? And it takes self-awareness to know, is this a cul-de-sac? There have been times in my life where people have looked at me and said, Tim, 
you just got to get out of this. There is no upside here. You're going to keep banging your head against the wall and nothing will change. That is absolutely true. And when that happens, like you need to get out. Otherwise, you know, you're just surrendering your life to monotony. But if it's a dip and not a cul-de-sac, you got to push through. The most foolish time to quit is in the dip because otherwise everything is a waste of time. Once you've made it through the dip, now you can look back at it as a gift and choose whether you want to accept that gift or not in the language of Seth Godin. And if if you look at the dip that you've gone through, what it's taught you, what it's made you, and you say, meh, I don't know if I want that gift. That's okay. You can leave that gift and pursue something else. But when you're in the dip, you're you're dealing with the pain and you've still not received the gift itself. So that's not the time to quit. And and I guess as we as we round this out, we really do need to understand the difference and that's very hard to do yourself. And and I would just say surrounding yourself with people who know you and are in community and accountability with you is really the best way to determine those things. For me in my life, I have tried to surround myself with people who know me, they know what I'm after, they know my strengths, they know my weaknesses, and they can see things a little bit more objectively to help me identify a dip versus a cul-de-sac. But that language for me has been just really, really important. I was kind of laughing at the end as Grant was talking about how he hasn't put any safeguards in any frameworks in to help him. And I'm like, no way, dude, you totally have. But it's amazing how these practices become so embedded and so deep, we forget they're even there. And 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 that's that's the call to you guys listening is, you know, if you're struggling, I mean, the, the easiest thing I think about is like running regular meetings in your business. Another one would be training up salespeople to sell more than you and better than you. You know, like those things are really, really tough. But once you build the behavior, once you start to wear that rut into the road, you forget it's even there. And honestly, you start to be able to thrive. You start to be able to make other decisions you'd never be able to make without those guardrails in place. And it's funny. It's, it's like the elementary things of our life. Like how often do we take for granted the ability to walk or the ability to talk or breathe because it becomes second nature, but that doesn't mean it's unnecessary. And, and obviously walking and talking, you know, those, those are things that it's not that they, that they happen to us, but there's something that we're really taught either intuitively or before we really have a say in the matter. But I would say the things in your business now, like regular meetings and a sales process and a vision and mission statement, those things are intentional but over time, they will become the air you breathe and the water that you swim in. So I just thought that conversation was really good. And it is just amazing how we can forget about these elementary things, but it doesn't mean they shouldn't be put in place. And, and by, by building them in place that deeply, you forget about it because you're able to move on to other things. So I, I thought that conversation was really good. And I, I just love the, the, the genuineness and the authenticity from Grant. Now, if this podcast has been a blessing for you and you want to support it financially, you can do that by going to the website, patreon.com slash it's fire time. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash it's fire time. And with this conversation, we are turning a page in our podcast season where we are going to move on from talking to peak performers to speaking with legacy makers. And, you know, my definition of a legacy maker is someone who is probably a little bit older. They, they have had some time in the game to accrue mass amounts of wisdom, and they are leaving behind a legacy. And I, I think that, man, this next section of the podcast is going to be really, really cool. And I, I just can't wait for you to hear my conversation with these guests. So in the meantime, I hope you have an amazing week and that you really have taken some notes on what it is these peak performers are doing. And I thought it was just very appropriate to end the conversation with my friend, Grant Falco. So I hope you got as much value out of the conversation as I did. Have an amazing week. We'll talk again very soon. Thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast. 
to learn more, visit the website itsfiretime.com. Music from this episode was written and recorded by In Bloom out of Portland, Oregon. We thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. We'll see you next time. All in to burn. 